This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Kimberly Romalo is vice president of communications and public affairs for the Rotary and Mission Systems Division at Lockheed Martin. She's a strategic communications executive with 25 years of experience developing programs that deliver high return on investment, motivate employees, and increase business awareness and demand. She's had a remarkable career, and I think you'll find her story to be quite compelling and instructive. She is an actively involved person, an executive in the diversity and inclusion initiatives at Lockheed Martin, serving as executive chair of the corporation's Women's Impact Network. She was honored with the 2019 Alice Paul Equality Award for Empowerment. In this episode, Kimberly and I discuss the importance of valuing and respecting everyone in the organization, how to make such empathy real, and the benefits that a diverse workforce brings directly to the company and to customers. She describes the ways that Lockheed Martin is taking a systematic, proactive approach to helping all employees understand the perspective of others through training and the highly engaged support from CEO Marilyn Hewson. I hope you like the Work and Life podcast, and if you do, I would greatly appreciate it if you'd just rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts so others are more likely to find it and enjoy it as well. Now, without further ado, get set to listen to and learn from Kimberly Romalo. Welcome to Work and Life. Well, thanks for having me, Stu. It's great to have you here. You, uh, from what I can gather, have have really led by example. Your career hasn't been exactly linear. You've taken some risks when you asked for and ultimately looked for an educational leave. Do I have that right? Yes, that's true. So I wonder if, before we get into the work that you're doing and, and what's happening at Lockheed Martin and the challenges you're facing, how you're meeting them in terms of uh, diversity and inclusion uh, Let me hear, I'm sure listeners want to know about your own work and life choices, how they have unfolded and informed your perspective. What, looking back, would you say was a critical decision or set of decisions that have led you to where you are now? Right. So in in terms of work-life balance, people call it, sometimes integration, I think work-life satisfaction, right? Okay. Balance and, uh, balance is bunk. We don't use balance around here, Kimberly. Right, so. and, and some people do, right? Well, and most like, people well, do, but we, <laughs> we know it's the wrong metaphor because it forces you into a trade-off mindset, right? So, okay, right. work-life satisfaction. Talk about that. Right. 
Right, because the balance part, you're never going to be equal. I mean, some days I'm a great mom, some days I'm a great employee. But at the end of the day, I think you have to really understand where your priorities are Mm -hmm. and understand what are the things that are most important to you. So for me, I mean, small trade-offs, and these are really small. When I first got my job at Lockheed Martin after leaving General Electric, um, you know, I was on my job interview, and while I sat down with the, you know, the president of the division and several other vice presidents, I was very honest and said, you know, I have, you know, at the time, four-year-old twins. I'm, hmm. um, you know, a, a wife. Um, I'm a sister and a daughter, and my family is very important to me. And the number one thing I will do when I'm not traveling, um, I will be home every night for dinner. So I know these are really small trade-offs, but it's the way that I kind of keep my um, personal life or my – I really pride every minute in the day, and I plan for it. I plan for family time, I plan for work time, and I plan for travel. So, um, you know, when I think about even when I left, you talked about this sabbatical that I had taken for a year. I actually was in finance for eight years, mm-hmm. almost 10 years. And uh, I realized I just wanted to go into communications. I thought I was going to be a mover and shaker in public affairs, you know, public relations. Um, and I went and had an exploratory interview. And the person said, you know, you've got a business degree. If this is really what you want to do, I recommend you get yourself credentialed in a, in a related field. And that's what I did. My company gave me the support that I needed. And at the time, it was sharing plow, and they don't exist anymore. But mm-hmm. at that time, they said, you know, go take a year off, get your education, come back, and, uh, you know, let's see what we can do for for you. So my career did change then. What did you do that for was, that year? Um, actually, I went back to school. I went to Stockton State College. I uh, finished the last two years of my education. Hmm. I rolled um, uh, an associate's degree into a bachelor's degree, finished the last year of school in one year. Was that in and, California? Uh, no, actually in, in Pomona, New Jersey. Yeah, okay. Stockton State College. Yep. And uh, and after I, I graduated from college, I uh, ended up assuming a job at a, a public relations agency. And from there, my communications career took off. I was able to parlay what I'd done at the pharmaceutical company and the agency. And, well, so was yeah. Shearing Plow upset that you didn't return to them? No, I actually did, but they wanted to offer me a job in finance again. And oh. I was like, God, I would love to do that, but I really just gave up my dogs and my apartment and all this stuff to go back to school to credential myself. Mm-hmm. Um and there just wasn't an opportunity for me. And that's where you learn in the communications field. There's only a handful of positions. And it was back then very much like that. Um, now, I think communications is very sought after. It's valued very much, very different than it was 25 years ago, hmm. where that was the first thing that would get cut when budgets got tight, cut advertising, cut PR, cut, cut, cut. Um, now they make investments in communications because they understand the importance of that and talking with our constituents. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Well. You've said uh, a number of things that uh, that are really interesting to me. I wonder if before we get into the family priorities and how you fit those and and really uh, leverage those in some way to to make you more effective as an executive, what has changed over the last twenty five years that's made what you do uh, more important to to the companies that you've been a part of? Um, I believe that companies understand that communications is um, a business imperative. So to get um, employees on board with your vision and your strategy, um, you want to get discretionary effort from employees. And the only way to do that is to be a present leader. Communicators help those leaders to be be present. Present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Help them be present. Um, I think within the the investor community, investors want to know that they're making a good investment in a company 
And the way to do that is to help tell the story and shape that story. Mm -hmm. We do that as a communicator. Um, Customers want to prefer. They want to work with a partner they trust. Communicators are helping to show the performance and the innovation that's coming out of everything that we do. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, general public, the general public wants people work at, you know, wants um, companies in their communities that are going to make investments in those communities that are going to be contributors. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do. And so, people didn't, I don't think they understood that years ago. Well, why is that? I mean, what's changed? What's changed in our environment, in in the social, political, cultural environment? Would you say that that has that has driven the uh, ascendancy, let's call it, of of the communications function in an organization? Um, I believe today. Um, our consumers and employees want information. They want to work with and buy from companies they understand. Mm. I don't think they want faceless organizations to be, you know, representing them. So, you know, communications mm. has become extremely valuable, mm-hmm. and everything we do is helping to helping people get an inside look to Lockheed Martin. And what we stand for, why we do what we do, um, and the importance of, quite frankly, um, the technologies that we're developing. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, I know we're a defense contractor. We hope you never have to use our stuff. But if you do, it's going to work, and we're going to get you home safe. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it's about. It's not really about war or anything like that. Um, and, and that's a, a challenging debate to even have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think you can see how it can benefit our company and that's been the change that I've seen in the past 25 years. So uh, back to your um, hiring interview. Uh, <laughs> you, you had four-year-old twins. That was how yeah. long ago? How old are the uh, kids? My, they're going to be 12 in November. All right. So, at Lockheed Martin for eight years. So uh, I worked as an executive uh, for a few years at Ford Motor Company. This is about mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Uh, and it's where the Total Leadership Program began. I took leave from my Wharton faculty role, and one of the commitments I made at that time was to be home for dinner every night, same, yeah. same as you. Yeah. And you know, being one of the top 300 executives in a 300,000-person uh, worldwide company, the fact that I was getting home for dinner every night became uh, more widely known than I'd understood or than I would have thought, so much so that when I was in Germany – at our headquarters, our Europe headquarters, uh, kicking off one of our uh, leadership development programs. That's what I was doing as head of leadership development. That's, that was my role for the company at that time. A guy pulls me aside at uh, one of the coffee breaks and says, are you the one who gets home for dinner every night? <laughs> I said, how the hell did you know that? You know, Here I am 6,000 miles from home, and, and he's, he said, well, yeah, we heard about you. Because it was a kind of counter-cultural activity that I was that I was doing. So, did you find any kind of you know particular spotlight or pushback when you came in as an executive to say, uh, "Yeah, but I need to be home for dinner every night." Right. You know, I'll tell you, it really, and this is not to preach to anybody that might be listening to us right now, but it really does come around understanding your trade and becoming an expert in what you do and make yourself invaluable. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I say to myself, um, I want to feel valued. I want to do a good job, but it can't only be, I can't only have one thing in my life. Mm-hmm. When I first had my children, I did take a year off of work. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, I never thought I would ever do that, but my kids were two months premature. 
stayed home with them for that year. Oh, wow. And mm-hmm. as crazy as it sounds, I was sitting there with the kids in their playroom and I was like, oh, I was looking up at the ceiling thinking that I worked so hard my whole life to sit home every day. And that's not disparaging to anybody who does it. I have lots of stay-at-home friends who are who are women and men. Mm-hmm. And it's me great too. for them. It just wasn't great for me. Right. It has to be really lucky. It has to yeah, be right for you. So did you get any pushback from people in the organization who were... Uh, perhaps no, I, wondering, what are you doing checking out at 6 o'clock every night or getting home for dinner every night? I don't do that. Why should no, you do that? Right. And I'll tell you, um, no, I did not get pushback. And what I committed to is, you know, obviously, if there was a work priority, I wouldn't get home for dinner. Mm-hmm. But and that would be the, the exception, not the rule. Mm-hmm. Um, once my kids were in bed and sleeping, I could come right on and do my work. Mm-hmm. So I'd be home every night for dinner. I didn't touch technology. Between the hours of 6 and 8.30, because mm-hmm. they were little, mm-hmm. after 8.30, I would take a few minutes for myself. 9 o'clock, if I needed to get back online, I'd get back online for a couple of hours so I could get ahead the next morning. Um, and it is a matter of planning and letting people know when you're available. Yes. I believe if you tell somebody when you can count on them and you demonstrate that they can count on you, there's no problem. It's when you say, I'll be there, and then you're not. Yes. Then then you, you've lost trust. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's such an important idea. If you are clear about expectations and when, you can, when you're going to be available, when you're not, when you're going to be delivering, when you can't, uh, before the fact rather than after the fact, then you're, you're going to be on the right side of trust building. If, you're, if you fail to deliver after you said you were going to, of course, that is... That's just going to kill your reputation, isn't it? Yes, it will. And it's actually more important now, Stu, when you think about more remote um, working opportunities and the enabling technology. So, you know, it's more important than it is today than it was back in the day when you had FaceTime and people were sitting next to each other side by side. So let's let's dig into this just a little bit further before we get into some of the wonderful things you're doing at Lockheed. Um, how you manage that process of letting people know about your availability or lack thereof and how you counsel you know, the people who work for you and the others that you're trying to help learn to be better communicators, how they should be um, helping to themselves and the people around them to manage those boundaries of availability. Right. You know, I think that you set the tone. So if you start your job or you start your day, and you work, you know, 12 hours a day, your boss sends you a message in the evening at 8 o'clock and you immediately respond, or at 10 p.m. and you immediately respond, or Saturday morning at 6 a.m. and you immediately respond, you're setting a precedent. Um, I think that you have to have your boundaries where they are and be very clear with your managers, your teammates, even your staff, and say, these are my core hours of working, and make yourself available when you need to be available, um, but it should not be the norm. And a lot of folks fall into that trap. So I caution people, mm-hmm. um, even when they're responding to me, when I love when they're responding to me right away, even if it is on the weekend, because sometimes that's when I am you know, working. I've got a couple hours in the morning to have a coffee, and I want to catch up a little. Um, even if they respond to me, I'm like, don't, don't always respond to me. Don't be so quick, because I'm going to expect that every time mm-hmm. I'm asking for a request. But I think that's one thing. I think also you have to be honest with your family. So when I come home at the end of my day, I will tell my children and my husband, we have dinner together every night if I'm not traveling, as I said, but I will let them know the phone is probably going to ring about 630. I'm going to have to step away from the table for about 10 minutes. I already let them know so they expect it so there's Mm -hmm. no disappointment. And I think that's clear expectations on both sides of, of the shop. And I do it to myself. 
I make a commitment to myself to say, today I said I'm going to do X, whether it's with my family or whether it's at colleagues at work. And I hold that commitment to myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to. Really, yeah, you have to. You have you to be conscious. I'm yeah. sorry, finish your thought, please. No, you do. You just have to know what you want mm-hmm. and what you're willing to uh, to put yourself out there for. And my experience with as, as an executive coach in my own life and working with organizations, I, I find that when... When you are uh, candid about the need for setting boundaries and you help people understand how that's going to actually make you more effective in the long run and maybe even in the short run by being able to focus on the things and people that matter when they need it, that most people understand and respect that. Right. And you're not dwelling on what you're missing out on. And that's the thing. If you're walking through life feeling like you're not doing, you know, not doing well by anybody or not doing right by yourself then you're constantly in, in a bad place. I wake up every morning and I feel great, and I go to sleep every night and I feel great. You wake Regardless, up every morning and feel great? Kimberly, sometimes really? Back, sometimes my back hurts. <laughs> That's it? But for the most part, I wake up and I say, thank you, God, for another day, uh-huh. and I move through my day. So you're, you're conscious about, about being appreciative. That's so yep, important, isn't it? Yeah, it's true. Well, and I'm sure that that spreads to other people uh, who are affected by your presence. Uh, Does this relate to how you as a company are trying to become an employer that nobody wants to leave and everybody wants to get to be a part of? Right. I think that I've – the reason I joined Lockheed Martin is because of our alignment. Um, You know, when I first joined the company, there was actually a lot of females in senior roles. That was very, very important to me to be able to grow my career Mm -hmm. and to, you know, back in the day, it was a little bit of a boys club. I'll be honest. When I got into the workforce, I was really the only woman in the room. And, you know, of course, it was a little bit hard when you have a family and you have to talk about wanting to be there for your family. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Lockheed Martin has made it. Um, you know, really understandable for everybody to say everybody can want the same thing. And, you know, we have um, some we make major investments and programs so that you can be in the shoes of someone else. And through a course that I had taken, it was a week long course. You know, we were talking um, it's you're submerged. You are with this group day and night. There's no phones, no TVs, no nothing. You're out in the woods doing these crazy exercises to really build trust and understand each other. And you really, I learned a lot in there that there were so many men in that room that said, wow, there were so many times I would have loved to have gone to my daughter's yeah. recital, mm-hmm. but there was no way I could tell my boss that that was, you know, that I wanted to do that. Or I remember that I wanted to really be on paternity leave for a while, but there mm-hmm. was no way my boss would support it. Mm-hmm. So you really start to learn that, wow, the things that you're feeling as a woman, a lot of men are feeling that too. And yes. vice versa. Things yeah. men are feeling. And, mm-hmm. and we really do try to set a ground for understanding and empathy and that everybody is valued. Everybody should bring their own ideas and bring your whole self to work. So and are people okay, able to that self is. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt, but I want to I want to drill into to this question, yeah. which I think is such an important one. What what kinds of programs or initiatives or messages do you convey that enable men and women to talk about the things that are important to them in ways that you heard as notes of regret from some of your colleagues uh, on that retreat. Right. Well, we do have uh, very structured programs 
and and very structured, you know, ERG. So we have employee resource groups mm-hmm. that are driven by employees. And these are, you know, a lot of companies have them. GE mm-hmm. had them, the affinity groups, where they do bring um, folks together and they talk about the major issues that are affecting those 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 individuals. Um, our president, chairman, and CEO, Marilyn Houston, attends every every leadership forum and speaks to all of the folks who are attending them. Um, Marilyn Houston has also established um, an executive inclusion council that she personally chairs herself. They meet quarterly to talk about issues of inclusion and making sure we're doing everything that we can to, um, you know, to make sure that people of color are advancing in the, in the corporation, that women are continuing to thrive in leadership roles, um, that we do have a, 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 respect for every single person that walks in and out of the doors of Lockheed Martin. Our customer has changed dramatically Hmm. in the past 30, 40 years. And quite frankly, the places we're operating in, our employee population or potential employee population have changed dramatically. So not only does the company believe in it, we know that it's an imperative for us to be successful in our business to make sure we're attracting the the best and brightest and most diverse um, talent to meet the needs of our customers. Um, So we do make huge, huge investments that's, in, uh, in everything. That's laudable. And I'm sure that Maryland's presence uh, and advocacy in these uh, in these leadership forums and the programs that you just described are crucial in, right. in sending the message that um, you know, all people matter. Uh, right. and, and not just the people who had been privileged in the past, but what about those folks who had, you know, the, right. the, the, uh, especially the men of my generation, mm-hmm. um, how have they reacted? And because it's, uh, and we've talked a lot about this on this show over the last six years, uh, this issue's come up a lot. The, you know, uh, the question of how you bring along folks from a different era who are confronted with cultural change that might be threatening. How do you do that? Well, this program, which is called Effective Leadership of Inclusive Teams, um, and that's the program where we have allies and the minorities, if you will, females, people of color. Um, But prior to that, we have a white man's caucus. And and the white man's caucus, um, all vice presidents, it used to be all vice presidents that would be invited, and similarly with the the Eloit or Effective Leadership of Inclusive Teams. Now we've drilled it down to the rest of the organization. But... You really do go. White men go to a white man's caucus. They have the same type of activity for, you know, three to five days, and they are talking all about privilege. And mm. many of them come out, and they're like, wow, I had no idea yeah. that I was walking around with a privilege card in my pocket. And then after they go to that session, they usually come back and they talk to their staff. They talk to, you know, other executives about their experiences. And then they're invited to go to the Eloit session where they join What's that? now. That, that's, that's, that's the effective leadership of inclusive teams. So white men who have gone to the white man's caucus uh-huh. come to that Eloit session together with women and people of color. And then they have a conversation. We do a series of exercises over the course of a week. Um, wow. And they do that for all vice presidents. Every vice president has to go through that. I went through it the first year I was there. It was really life-changing. And since then... How did it change your life? You know what? Again, it gave me a better understanding of what other people felt and thought and the experiences they were having, Um, even some women. You know, all women don't have the same exact experience. No kidding. 
right? So, um, yeah. So, you know, you're just like, wow, you know, I didn't really think of it that way. And mm-hmm. it helps you have a little bit more empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you tackle really challenging issues. Mm-hmm. You know, we've taken this out of the VP level and, and have taken it down to, you know, first line leaders. And we do these summits. They're shorter. They're about, you know, two days. And I go back as an alumni a lot. And these folks are tackling major issues. Like what? When they had um, when there's riots in the street or, you know, um, Black Lives Matter, they are these individuals who are just regular workers. These are not executives, not Elko. You know, some of them aren't even Elkos. And they what's are, an Elko? Don't use acronyms. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> they're not they're not even leaders in the organization. I gotcha. But uh-huh. They're the people of influence. Uh-huh. Um, and and they're talking about these issues and how it impacted them, how it impacts their family, hmm. the concerns that they have. Um, and it's really um, the experiences are really incredible. And uh, the whole dialogue is driven by the attendees. I mean, there's a facilitator that helps guide the conversation. Yeah, because these um, conversations can get quite heated, I'm sure. They they certainly can, um, but they haven't. Um, you know, there I haven't seen anybody really explode in such a way. Um, but it's really funny because you, you see you hear so many different perspectives. Um, there's this walk where they line you all up in the class and in all of the sessions, and they'll ask you a series of questions. So, have you ever been sexually harassed? Have you ever been discriminated against? You know, do you have divorced parents? Are you a privilege? Could you ever not have enough money to eat? A bunch of questions, and you start walking. They ask the question, if it's true for you, walk. Very emotional because you're really thinking about this, you know, mm-hmm. the things that are have happened to you in your life. And it's and there exposed. Was one, yeah. I mean, other people are seeing it. Everybody's seeing it. You're right. But it really does show you, if you're a person of privilege, how you can be on the other side. There was a mm-hmm. time that I walked and I was the only person on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really interesting. But, you know, when you, when you think about these experiences people have, um, you know, it really does help you empathize and help you put yourself in, in each other's shoes. Um, and not and, and and not be afraid to ask the question, and that's what the course is all about. Mm. It's not about necessarily healthy debate. It's about genuine curiosity, the curiosity mm-hmm. you would have of another human being. So, Kimberly, you were saying about uh, the power of uh, exercises that really bring to light. Uh, a sense of empathy and understanding and genuine curiosity about other people's lives and how they are so different uh, from each other and from you and why it's so important to be uh, aware of and acknowledging those differences. What what would you say is the most important aspect of uh, the impact of those kinds of exercises in terms of you know, creating a greater sense of openness and curiosity and empathy? Why is that so important now? Well, I think when you, um, you know, you make assumptions about how somebody thinks or what somebody stands for or anything, um, you need to ask a question. And rather than just making an assumption or, you know, blanketing everybody under a certain umbrella based on what you perceive is what they're feeling, um, it opens up a a dialogue. And it's a a dialogue that is set in, in the boundaries of knowing the conversation is coming from a good place and knowing the conversation is coming from genuine understanding or genuine desire to understand um, and to be able to grow together. But why does that matter so much today? Well, I think it matters today because of our political environment. Say more. um, And because of a lot of the issues 
mm-hmm. that uh, that we're dealing. There's there's a lot um, happening in the world. I mean, immigration is a, is a big challenge. And, you know, if you want to really understand what an issue is or where somebody's sitting on that um, side, you want to ask the question, why do you feel the way you feel? Maybe mm-hmm. there is a specific reason that can help you have some empathy for them. You know, conversations about abortion, conversations about everything. Um, and we don't ask the question. Um, in fact, I think a lot of the times we're feeding ourselves information um, to affirm what we already believe. Yeah. And that's a challenge. So that's a mistake. For, for, the, for the current and future needs of Lockheed Martin, why is it important to encourage this kind of conversation, which, of course, can lead to all kinds of conflict, uh, as well as you know, better, well, just mutual understanding? Right. What's, the, what's the driver behind well, that? I think for any company, every company is in the business of doing business obviously making money. We're a publicly traded company. Mm-hmm. Our customers are changing. We're doing work outside of the United States. Mm-hmm. We want to recruit the best and brightest people, and they've come from all walks of life. They're going to be thinking different from each other. This is not going to be a group think organization. And unless you can find a way to welcome differences into the workplace, um, to celebrate those differences, to offer a venue for people to voice their thoughts and ideas, to be respectful. Um, you know, we, we live by a rule. You know, it's really our mantra. Do what's right, respect others, re- perform with excellence. That's it. I mean, literally, there's like three things that Lockheed Martin cares about. And we believe that this is the foundation um, that's going to help us be successful in the future. We'll be a company of choice. People will want to work with us, work for us, and stay. And that's important because we make investments in our people. Let me let me ask a couple more questions uh, about what you're doing, uh, particularly with respect to uh, – we talked about working mothers and working fathers and people of different ages and how they face different challenges – what are what are some of the ways that you see your firm helping to enable parents be the kinds of people, the kinds of leaders they want to be uh, at work as well as at home? Right. Well, there's a whole bunch of things. I would say um, we are a very flexible organization. So we offer a lot of technology so people can work remote. Um, this was an organization that probably, like most, um, did believe in showing up at the office nine to five every day. Um, we have people that work remote. We have people that do um, work shares. So they might work a, you know, a half a day or a 20 hour week. Some work 35 hour week. Um, some people will have children come back to work and they'll want to kind of tier their time working in the office and we will allow them to have flexible arrangements. So, you know, we look at, um, what the needs are of each individual employee. Um, and we really do try to say if you're, if that job enables you to either work remote or work part time or, or do something that you need to do to take care of your, uh, you know, personal situation outside of the work, we really try to accommodate it. Um, and we have HR business partners across the organization. Um, we have our diversity and inclusion organization and all of our ERGs. And our employee resource groups are ERGs. Some of them are really focused on work-life balance. And these are employee-led organizations that provide tips and support to people that are going through different times in their life. Mm-hmm. So um, Lockheed Martin's been very easy for me to, um, you know, to, to transition there and to raise my children and be a very active, uh, you know, mother and wife. Can you give a, an example of how that has 
the the company's policies and practices as they're enacted by the people that you work with, how that has uh, played out for you and enabled you to be the mother you want to be? Well, right, because there's not really um, an, an expectation of being in the office every day or be sitting at my desk every day. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no expectation of that. There's an expectation of you make a commitment to the company. What are the things? This is what the company needs you to do. Or they'll say, Kimberly, this is what we expect from you. And I will say, this is what you can expect from me. And there's, of course, a lot of things I do above and beyond my regular job, like run the women's community at Lockheed Martin um, and a few other things. But they know exactly what they're getting from me. They don't really dictate the way I deliver that. There's no right answer. Everybody's going to deliver it differently. And I'm sure the person who had this job before me, um, did it a very different way than I do it. And that person, quite frankly, wasn't had no children at all and was just recently married. Mm. Um, so, so very different, you know, really different dynamics between what we want for our lives. I mean, Marilyn Houston herself, I mean, she's married and has two sons. Um, and she came up through Lockheed Martin, you know, as an engineer in Marietta, Georgia, and raised a family. And she's our, you know, chairman, president, and CEO. And the company is doing better under her leadership than it ever has in its history. That's great. Um, yeah, it is great. And so you can have everything. Hmm. Um, you know, in Maryland, everything is going to be a little different than mine. It's going to be a little different hmm. than, you know, Michelle Evans. She runs Aeronautics, our biggest business area. And she's a mom of two. Um, she came up through the ranks again at Lockheed Martin, tried different roles, and just continued. We continued to make investments in her and give her those stretch opportunities. She continued to have the confidence in herself, and she's running our largest business area. It's over 30% of our business. So, you know, um, it can be done. People are doing it every day, and I'm really proud to see that, uh, that you know, I work for a company that's making it possible for people so, or at least an, allowing mm-hmm. you to ask for what you want. That's really what it is. That really is, is so important. Uh, is it different for uh, single parents? Have you have you encountered that? Is it something you talk about? Is it something that you're aware of? Uh, you know, particular needs and interests of uh, of people who are raising kids on their own. Uh, you know, I don't know that it's different, but I will say every every individual has a different reason of uh, why they do what they do and how they want to spend their time whether it's a single parent, whether it's somebody taking care of an aging parent, whether it's, I mean, I have a, a woman that I work with. She was taking care of two of her elderly disabled brothers. She's been doing it for years. One mm-hmm. of them just passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, everything I would give to a, a, a working mom, I offer her the same flexibility. What do you need? What are the things we can do to help you? Um, so it really, it's not a matter of just, I don't want to make it just about working women or working moms. It really is about the 100,000 employees that work at Lockheed Martin to say, how can you bring, what can we do for you to help you bring your best self to work? But it does help women. And I know that because your company is number two on Women Engineers Magazine list of best places to work, if I have that right. Yeah, darn right. And we're very proud of that. And well, you should be. We would do the same for a man. <laughs> yeah, but it's... And we do. Uh, well, and, and that's uh, that's an important uh, constituency as well, of course. Um, well, you know, you've been uh, a strong advocate for, for bringing humanity you know, into the workplace, listening to people, valuing people and diversity. Um, as you think about the future and young people coming up... Uh, you know, it's a new generation, new set of values and interests, as it always is, generation to generation. What's the trend that you're seeing uh, with respect to people who are just joining your workforce in terms of what what's most important to them? I believe that the next generation of worker 
wants to know what you stand for as an organization. Mm-hmm. They want to work for a company that a lot that is, their values are aligned. And I see it a lot. And I see people who are leaving the company because they have values that were somewhere else um, and, and joining the company for the same thing. And I think that's my advice to every single company. Find out what you believe in, what you stand for, and, uh, you know, put yourself out there and, and, and say it and just be honest about it. So when you hear about people having, uh, you know, a passion for, you know, creating social impact, is like, what are they saying? Uh, well, I, I don't, I don't know because I think you can define that a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. But I know a lot of people that work at Lockheed Martin really believe in the mission of what we do. They believe that we are there for the warfighter, and we um, are helping the people fighting for our freedoms every day. Um, we're helping them come home safe, and and. Almost every single employee, if you walk in any of their cubes, walk up and down their hallways, it is all about their customer and the person that they're working to save. You know, we're saving their lives so they can give us ours. Um, and it's a very mission-focused organization. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't align with everybody, um, and, and that's okay. Um, and I think that that's what we do stand for, and you'll find that most of the people that work at the company have a real passion for, for freedom and for our country. So what do you hope uh, for your twins? Um, well, you know, I have one. My, my daughter is very interested in joining the military. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm hoping that if that's where she wants to go, that's fine. But maybe she'll decide to be a veterinarian. Um, no, I hope that they will both be understood. I hope they will find their voice and feel comfortable enough being who they are in whatever environment they're in. Mm-hmm. Really. Well, um I'm I'm interested in their story as it unfolds uh, in the years yeah. to come. Maybe we'll have them on the show at some Amazing. point in the future so that they can tell us about that. <laughs> um, let me ask you one more question. That's one that I've been asking all my guests this year as I think of this year as a year of accountability. Uh, so here's the question. What do you do to hold yourself accountable for living in accord with your values? What do I do to hold myself accountable? Jeez, I just am. You know, I make a commitment to myself, and, you know, I'm one of those, um, I guess, freaks that once I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of wired that way. Um, But I do say it out loud, and I remind myself of the things that are important. So when I'm waking up in the morning and saying, thank you, God, for another day, I'm usually reminding myself what's important today and make sure that I don't let myself down and don't let the other people down um, because I make commitments to them about being a happy, healthy Mm -hmm. mom and engaged person. Um, and, you know, a top-notch employee and leader at the company. So that's what I set up to do. Kimberly, thank you so much for joining me yeah. on the program tonight. How can listeners find out more about the great work that you're doing at Lockheed Martin? Uh, well, I mean, I have a LinkedIn page, so they can find me on LinkedIn, and they can go to LockheedMartin.com to learn about all the amazing things that the company is doing. We also have a Facebook page as well, so they get the latest. Well, all right, Kimberly. Yep. Thank Thanks you so again. Much, yep. All righty. Take good care. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kimberly Romalo and found it to be thought-provoking. Does your organization have a white men's caucus or an effective leadership of inclusive teams group? How might it change your work environment, your life, really, if people who have been privileged in our society, people at work, people around you in the workplace, if they, perhaps it's you, better understood the meaning, the impact of this privilege, 
and the perspectives of those who are in minority groups, women, people of color, members of the LGBTQ community. So here is a challenge for you, an invitation. What can you do? What small step might you be able to take to promote greater understanding? And what would you expect to be the result of your taking such a step on you and the people around you? Let me know what you discover if you decide to take such a step. I would love to hear from you. So you can get in touch with me directly, friedmanatwharton.upenn.edu, or find me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 132, Wharton Business Radio. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. For more about this episode's guest and about previous guests, visit workandlifepodcast.com. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership. Be a better leader, have a richer life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate it on iTunes, and share it with your friends family, and co-workers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.